and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with Paul Tenuda and Amanda Woodward. On this particular episode, we're just going to, I suppose, shoot the breeze a little bit because we've had a number of conversations with investors who have asked us a number of questions, estate agents in terms of things like what does the future hold post-pandemic? We're not quite through this um, pandemic season, as it were, but we can see clear light at the end of the tunnel. And then this amazing growth in the property market. How does that affect investors looking for below market value deals? Does that still exist in Stoke and Trent, Crewe and Newcastle? So Amanda and I are going to discuss that a little. And then our main area, which is HMOs and service accommodation, what's the prospects? I know service accommodation took a bit of a backseat during the pandemic because they weren't able to trade, but are prospects better, worse or the same going forward? Last but by no means least is that whole area of commercial development in Stoke and Trent or Crew. What's the prospects there? You know, we're going to take the next 30 minutes and do a bit of crystal ball gazing and just try and pull everything together so our listeners can make better decisions, know the state of the market, and with that, see whether they should be on hold in terms of future investment, wait until the froth settles from this hectic market or where, where the opportunities are right now. So if we kick off, I'll ask Amanda just to give her view in terms of, let's start with the growth of the market. I mean, everything that's been put on the market sort of sells overnight. I should add, just not in Stoke and Crew and Newcastle, but literally around the country. Is this here to stay? Is it going to end after the stamp duty ends? What do you think, Amanda? Well, I have, I guess, two schools of thought. If you asked me that question you know, a year ago, I would have to say I probably was wrong. I would have said that right now we wouldn't be in such a high growth stage. But you know, the statistics have told us com- completely the opposite. And it doesn't look like it's looking to end anytime soon, which I think just shows how confident people are, not just investors, but just generally people are in the property market. And that whilst many other you know, markets and industries have not fared so well, that you know we're fortunate that there's so much confidence in our industry that the property prices have increased, will increase, and personally, I can't see it stopping anytime soon. And I mean, that's a bit of a problem for for investors. I mean, our our mantra in our own business is you have to buy well when things are either not coming to market or on the market on Monday and so by Monday evening, it's difficult to buy well in that environment. So it's a bit of a difficult situation for investors to jump in with both feet, knowing that they may be paying, you know, top whack for some of these for some of these properties. I think the view is I always think that we should never be in a hurry to invest. We should wait until things do settle down a little bit. It may be six months, it may be up until the end of October when stamp duty goes away. It could be a year. What is clear is that this is, as you said, taking everybody by surprise. I mean, the estate agents are just chomping at the bit. They just can't believe it. This is definitely taking everybody by surprise, investors included. And if you're in the buy-to-let sector or in the HMO sector, what you were buying in, in, in Stoke Crew in Newcastle for £100,000, £120,000 in order to renovate is now, in some instances, just not attainable. It's sort of 20% more. 
And that 20% could be the difference between it being viable or a couple of auntie suite rooms if you're doing an HMO, which maybe, you know, a six bedroom becomes a four bedroom. And the numbers just don't quite stack up as attractively as they once did. So I think the key question for an investor looking at our areas and looking to invest is if they're jumping now, they may be buying at the top of the market. I think generally speaking, nobody likes to buy at the top of the market. You know, my view, man, I always say property is a long-term perspective. Think 10 years rather than 10 months. And it may not matter 10 years from now. I'm pretty sure it isn't going to matter 10 years from now. But if they if they get at the, at, at the top of the market, they should expect that there may be some leveling out going forward. If it doesn't, if it continues to rise, then happy days. But, you know, they should probably anticipate some leveling out going forward. And they're going to be competing with first-time buyers, movers. I mean, people have been sitting at, their ho- on, at, at home for 18 months, look at their four walls and think, this is too small. We need to go f- to a bigger place. We need to get a larger garden. So the HMO investors could be competing with the likes of um, Joe Public who are just looking to trade up and get a bigger place. And obviously, they don't think in terms of ROI. They think in terms of just level of comfort for themselves and their family. So there's going to be a lot more competition from the, the local market. So B&B deals, do they exist? Well, I think just going back to what you were saying in terms of buying in this market, I think there's two types of buyers in this market. I think you have those that were buying pre-pandemic. They know exactly what a deal is for them and how it works for them. Continue to buy and refurbish during the pandemic, as we did at the very early stages, and are you know hunting deals and will continue to buy should the numbers stack up. And I think you have the flip side of that with other investors who are just chasing the deals, eager to buy property, thinking that if it's going up and up and up, maybe I should just get in now just to get into the deal. And I've spoken to people that have bought, particularly sort of HMOs, uh, to do both to do up and ones that are already refurbished and rented and are paying way over the odds. So should you be buying during this time you know, it always depends on the deal. And as Paul said, our sort of mantra is we must always buy well. We were looking at something ourselves at the moment only because, you know, the numbers suggest, suggest that it is a deal. In terms of finding below market value deals, now naturally it isn't as easy to go into the estate agent and obtain those like we once did. We bought a ton of fantastic deals through agents. So it's about being a little bit more creative and looking at different ways to perhaps add the value as you would always say, Paul, in terms of finding ways that we can increase it rather than looking for, you know, discounted deals. But in terms of how, you know, how do we handle the existing growth in the market? And, and should we be buying or should we be be holding and keeping our powder dry, Paul? What's your your overall consensus? I think just think about it. If, if you're in the buy-to-let space, your return on investment is, is going to come down because you're going to be competing head-on with first-time buyers, and the government has given them so much ammunition to work with in terms of finding their first property. If you're looking at the HMO market, I think one of the things that we sometimes forget, there are a bunch of landlords out there who are either fed up of managing their own properties, uh, which includes HMOs, or the HMOs needs to be upgraded, or they're getting a bit long in the tooth. And they said, you know what, I've been doing this for 20 years or 25 years. I don't want to do this anymore. And I think with that as well, we forget that Stoke and Newcastle for sure is very student-centric when it comes to HMOs. And the student market has changed over the last 18 months. So I think I'm saying that on the buy-to-let side, that's going to be just tough to get anything below market value unless it's an absolute wreck and you're willing to spend some money to do it up. In the HMO market, I think there's probably something there just by virtue of the fact that there's a lot of HMOs 
legislation has increased. The student market has just changed somewhat because of what has happened over the last 15 months. I mean, if you're a student coming from overseas, India, China, or wherever, you're probably going to be thinking twice before you jump on a plane and, you know, sort of settling stoke in the back end of a pandemic, given that what you heard, you weren't able to leave, you weren't able to study, you weren't able to leave, leave your, your, your premises. So I think overseas students are going to drop and that's going to be a gap in the market. And I think some landlords may want out or may want to turn their properties into buy-to-lets. I don't know. But I think there's still opportunities in HMO markets. But I think the message with regard to this particular area in terms of dealing with the growth is, you know, obviously it's on your hands if you're in the buy-to-let space. If you're looking to do flips, yeah, there's a possibility, but you have to move pretty quickly. But if you're in the HMO side of things, I think there could be some opportunities. I think it could be business as usual in terms of maybe buying some rundown existing stuff. Okay, so let's broaden the subject a little bit and just talk post-pandemic. In terms of where you know where next for investors, in terms of you know what should they be doing post the pandemic? What have we learned? I guess over the last twelve to eighteen months that we didn't know before with regards to our property businesses and property investments that that we're going to take forward post. I think. I mean, I think that's such a such an interesting question. I think one of the things, one of the things, the risk of sounding a little bit cynical is that you know during a time of crisis, you probably as a landlord, you know, don't want to depend on the government to help you out because. I think, you know, without putting it too sort of obtusely, you know, we've been screwed sideways by by the government in terms of not being able to evict tenants and not being able to do this, that and the other. So that's one of the big lessons that, you know, as landlords, you know, as much as we want to help and support our tenants, we've been pretty vulnerable to the whims of the government in, in, in a crisis. How do you defend against that going forward? I'm not 100% sure, but I think sort of in our business, Amanda, we we've had to be as flexible we've had to pivot and we've had to be creative in a whole bunch of areas which we didn't anticipate so i think flexibility is key that's one of the the key lessons i think if if we work on the basis that let's write off 2021 and say end of 2021 you know all things being equal that will be the end of the pandemic as we know it so look at 2022 where we can get back to some sort of normality i think what's come out of it is that people want bigger rooms certainly from from an hmo standpoint they want more flexibility in as much as their job could be stop start. That whole influx of people from Europe that we used to see and be sort of picking a path to our door just has slowed down tremendously. So I think that may pick back up going forward. I think you need to have a scenario where if it doesn't pick back up, what do we do? If it does, then great. How are we going to serve those? serve those guys. Immigration coming to the UK as a result of Brexit is going to be a lot tougher. And I think anyone in the HMO space for working professionals who doesn't plan for a clamp down on immigration is crazy. I think the writing is on the wall with 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 Pretty Patel on, on that front. Larger rooms, and it's easier said than done. If you have a five or six bedroom HMO and your rooms are compliant, they're sort of 10.2 square meters or 12 square meters. Unless you start knocking down walls to create 15, 18 square meter rooms, you're stumped somewhat. And, you know, some of the inquiries that we get for people is always ends up, I want a bigger room. I want a big room because of what they've been through during during the pandemic. So I think for the new developers, people who are developing new HMOs, I think the bigger, the better. And obviously, it's easier said than done once again, because it's got to it's got to be viable. You know, it's great having big rooms, but are people going to be able to 
afford the rates that come with it. So it's finding that balance. So I think those are probably the lessons post-pandemic. But I think it goes back to, we said it in the first part of the podcast, if you buy well, you have an automatic cushion to fall back on. But if you've overpaid for your development, then your back's going to be against the wall as soon as something goes wrong and you won't have the flexibility. To add to that, Paul, in terms of just focusing a little bit on HMOs, I mean, we're speaking with, you know, hundreds of HMO inquiries all the time and size of room is regular. Bathroom ratio has never been so important before. We get to the point where, you know, we could almost sell the en-suites twice over, but some of the rooms that don't have en-suites are obviously slightly less attractive. Not that we can't sell them, but just a little bit less attractive to those inquiring. We even had a request the other day of, can I just stand in the hallway of your property um, and test the Wi-Fi speed? Because I didn't want to move in and have the inconvenience of not having the relevant Wi-Fi speed that they need because they're working from home. You know, we're sending photos of the rooms. Where can I put my desk? Where can I put my chair? So whilst naturally as HMO investors, we're always thinking about what product can we deliver to the customer that's going to meet their needs. So I was speaking to an investor the other day who was developing a six-bed HMO, two bathrooms. And I said, look, you know, we've got properties like that that we renovated or converted, should I say, seven, eight years ago. And you work with what you've got. But if we were bringing stuff to the market now, and if we were bringing six bedrooms to the market, I wouldn't probably want to bring any less than four bathrooms alongside those six bedrooms. And because that's just, one, where things have gone. And two, I can't see people going back to their old thought process on that. I think with COVID, we have turned a page and I can't see us necessarily going back. People are going to what want and protect what they want going forward. But let's just flip that on the head a little bit, Paul. Let's talk about the service accommodation market, if now's the right time. Because we've had obviously a lot more disruption, shall we say, to that market during the last 12 to 18 months. What's your thoughts going forward in terms of that as a strategy, as a business model coming out of the pandemic? And obviously talk a little bit about what we're experiencing in our business from a service standpoint. Yeah, let me let me before I go on that, as you were speaking about HMOs, something's jumped into my mind, which something that we sort of take for granted. But one of the things I know that you've mentioned and people have mentioned, they've moved into HMOs and there's no crockery and cutlery in the kitchen and the reason for that is that people are commandeering their cups and their plates and their knives and forks and hoarding them in their room going to the kitchen to wash them and taking them back to the room so the drawers are very scant and this didn't used to happen pre-pandemic and it's interesting the other thing is after you've gone and used the bathroom people have an expectation if it's a shared bathroom that you're going to clean and sanitize it when you finish it now that's actually not in our in, in any of our contracts and not normally the way HMOs work. So post-pandemic, are we going to go back to, you know, people will have shared use of crockery and cutlery and it'll be a sort of a central place and, you know, bathrooms will be bathrooms and when our housekeepers go in there, they get cleaned or will people be that pedantic on just about everything that happens? I, I, I just wonder because as sort of HMO letting agents ourselves, it's something that we have to be very conscious of and investors going to develop HMOs have to think about that because they might be, end up replenishing and spending a little bit more on their housekeeping. But to your question on service accommodation, I mean, that's I mean that's a great market. It was a great market pre-pandemic, and I'm sure it'll be a pr- great market post-pandemic, broadly speaking. But I think 
it's going to change. If you've got apartments, I think people who are traveling traveling twos and threes would prefer an apartment to a hotel just because, you know, they just feel it's a little bit more personal and they can control what they see and touch and feel in the kitchen and the bathroom a little bit more readily. There's more space, not so much for social distancing, but just all the benefits of, of service accommodation as, as there was before. What was interesting is, is, is the fact that the SA market just really took a dive because everything was shut down by the government. And if this were to reoccur, the SA boys, along with guest houses and B&Bs and hotels, are really going to have a major problem. So I think the SA product that worked during the pandemic are the ones that are able to pivot and operate as buy-to-let where people were, were living there. Now, if you bought or done a rent-to-rent based on SA, to pivot and do buy-to-let buy to and make money is going to be pretty tough. So that, that brings in an extra layer of risk. But just listening and speaking to people and being on some of the sort of webinars, the feeling is that the flexible SA, short stay, moving towards extended stay, seem to fare better than pure SA, you know, a block of flats that were purposely done for a short stay. You know, from our standpoint, I mean, we're, we're not exiting the SA market. We, we, we think it's still very, very viable, but we have to be a little bit smarter about it. A friend of mine asked me, what do I think about business travel? Because obviously, if you're in London or Manchester, you get a lot of corporates coming in, but either flying or, or bumming up the motorway. And my view is that 20% of business travel will go for a very long time because people are now just so used to Zooming and teaming and and, and not flying across the pond or coming going from Europe to here or up the motorway, they'll just do a Zoom call. And I think that will have an effect. In Stoke Crew, Newcastle, a lot of the contracts that we get tend to be people who are doing stuff there. So on the roads, on the railways, and they're building stuff, and that's why they're coming to the area. But if you're in some of the bigger cities, while that happens as well, I think there's a lot of people that are just coming for meetings and stuff like that, and a lot of that can be done by Zoom. So I think the SA market will change in some of the maybe larger places i know people you know people in london who have had to convert a lot of their flats back to buy to let and there's been basically a bit of a a, a deluge of buy to lets in the london market which has depressed prices somewhat now, i'm sure they'll bounce back up when things even out but that was all the sa stuff coming onto the market we haven't seen that in our areas i don't think mainly because there wasn't as many sa's relatively speaking as was done in london but i think going forward for investors I don't think they should shy away from SA. And I think like most things, I think they should be, do their due diligence, you know, certainly speak to us, you know, do their numbers, have a bit of a cushion. If they are doing a rent to rent, you know, the best deals are done when you do a good deal with the landlord. You don't want to overpay the landlord and then be stuck with the property for three years because the SA market has changed. And that is a market that is so sensitive to what's taking place nationwide. I mean, ironically, as we're recording this, I'm in a hotel in, Stoke-on-Trent because all of our properties are booked out with guests and the car park is full of vans and you know it is what you were saying Paul in terms of it's more the contractor market for us here in Stoke and Crew that brings that brings the people in but it is sensitive and flexibility is is your friend during times which we we notice hugely over the last year or so. I think it's going to be interesting if you look at the government what the government has said the government talks about levelling up it's taking a little bit of heat for that from the people down in the south, which I know you're a southerner, Amanda, but I think it's quite rich that the people down in the south are complaining that the people in the north are getting a little bit of attention. 
the first time for probably, you know, 40 years. But anyway, that's another subject. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go into the politics of it. But the whole levelling up means that there's probably going to be a, a lot more activity in the north of the country, the sort of Midlands in the north of the country that, than previously it had, which has to benefit SA. I mean, we get, you know, sort of people wanting two, three, four houses because they're sending teams up of people to work on particular projects or kickoff projects or to maintenance works and things like that. And I think with this levelling up and, and investment in infrastructure from Boris and, and, and Rishi, they're talking about this infrastructure bank that they're setting up in Leeds, which are going to be lending to local businesses that have creative ideas, investing in infrastructure. I think that can only benefit the SA market where people are back and forth. So I think if you're investing in our part of the world, Stoke, Crew, Newcastle, I think SA is, I think it's going to be fine. I think the only time it isn't going to be fine is going to be basically if there's another pandemic and pray God that doesn't happen. I think if you're in the south of the country, not the coast, because obviously that's a whole different market, but sort of in the bigger cities in the south of the country, London in particular, that might take a little bit more time to come back, but I'm sure it will come back. But that will suffer from sort of lack of tourists and people getting used to the new quarantine rules and vaccination rules and stuff like that. But our stuff up in the Midlands and sort of the Northwest is a little bit more domestic. And I think it'll fare a lot better because of that and because of the government's focus on doing more for the north of the country. So I think a net positive in terms of service accommodation for our area, we're happy to promote and invest in that area, not going crazy, but I think I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be absolutely fine in that area. Just flitting back to HMO, I get approached a lot by people saying, you know, do you still do HMOs? Do HMOs still work? There's so many HMOs. You know, why are you still investing them in them or should I still invest in them? What's your take on that, Paul? Because I know you work with people that are doing property investment nationwide, people that are investing in HMOs all around the country. What's your general take on that? post-pandemic sort of to HMO or to not HMO? I think if people were a little bit unsure about the staying power of HMO, then the pandemic has has confirmed that HMOs are here to stay. They do a job of work and people aren't scared of them. And if you think about it, this is a shared house. We've got this pandemic, which is, you know, spreads like wildfire. So you know, one would imagine that a shared house would be one of the first places where people would be a little bit scared of moving into. But it's been absolutely fine. It's been yeah. absolutely fine. So I think it's reconfirmed its place as a property investment for investors that can weather the storm, one, that the target market are happy to move into an HMO. And you've got to look at the practicalities. An HMO is basically an all-inclusive room where all the bills are covered. You've got one cost that you have to pay every month. So it's darn convenient. They're dotted about around the town, around the city, whereas so you find an HMO where you probably wouldn't find apartments. So they're convenient from that standpoint. So I think it ticks a lot of boxes. And there's obviously a range of HMOs in, in Stoke and Crew and, and Newcastle. You can find stuff which are 350 and you can find stuff which is you know close to, to, to 600. So it looks after quite a broad band of the market. I think, I, I mean, I said this a few years ago, I said that, you know, to future-proof your HMO, larger rooms, more facilities, and have on suites. That hasn't changed. But I think HMOs have, have proved themselves. And certainly from our standpoint, we'll continue to invest with them. 
and continue to manage them for other people. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the last area for us to really touch on is commercial. I mean, there's been lots of changes with, with planning regulations and laws and you can do more with different types of commercial property. The retail sector has had a torrid time during the pandemic, not to mention pubs and other sort of institutions. So commercial development, is that an opportunity? Is that a better opportunity? Is it about the same? Any any thoughts on that, Amanda? Well, in terms of our experience and the people that we're connected with, commercial conversions is certainly our focus. And I think where the opportunity lies for both small, medium and large developments post the pandemic, you know, first time buyers will look at houses, second steppers will look at houses, amateur landlords will look at houses, you know, newbie landlords are, are going to be looking at, at houses. But the savvy investors are looking at buildings. And there's tons of them, tons and tons and tons of them from all different weird and wonderful uses that you can't even imagine that are out there begging to be developed. The government, broadly speaking, is backing that development. And there's just more more scope. So, you know, it's goodbye estate agents, hello commercial agents, in my opinion, going forward. And, and that's where the opportunities lie for picking up deals that you know, meet your criteria, stack up, deliver the ROIs that you're looking for. Of course, if you've got the appetite for it, a lot of people haven't. There's always going to be the big developers out there that are always looking for big buildings. But those, you know, two, three, four, five thousand square foot buildings, I don't know anything up to maybe about 10,000 square feet. That's more for the adventurous, smaller investor. And I think that's where a lot of opportunity lies. I'm not sure if you agree with that, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, certainly in and around Stoke and Trent, there, there, there's a lot of stock, and I suppose it's about it's the right stock and what you're going to do with it. The government, the government says it wants more houses, it wants more flats. So getting planning for those is a walk in the park. It's just finding the right property to convert into flats that makes it viable. I mean, we looked at something fairly recently, which when we looked at the numbers, great building, but the numbers just didn't stack up. And, and that's going to be key going forward. The other thing for, as if you're a new developer coming into the area, new to commercial, I mean, commercial development take a little bit longer to do than your buy-to-let or your HMO, generally speaking, if you're talking about converting to eight, nine, 10, you know, studio, one bedroom or two bedroom flats. And just the whole planning progress takes a lot longer and things like that. So the time horizon, the longer it takes, the more things can potentially go wrong in terms of legislation or things that pop up that you didn't expect. But the returns can be a lot higher, and that's the offset. In terms of, of as we were speaking just today, we met a value today, and he was talking about commercial stuff up in crew, and he's been valuing stuff in crew and near the centre. He said he thinks there's some stunking deals near the centre in crew just because of the rateable value is just so high. Retailers just can't afford it anymore, so people get hold of that and convert that to residential. They, they, they could be well away. I think with commercial, I think you're pretty much going with what the government is requesting is that, you know, turn them into homes. And if the numbers can work with the market the way it is and has been for a while with the first time buy demand, I, you know, you, you, I, I'm not going to say you're absolutely guaranteed to make a healthy profit, but I think it's going to be pretty difficult to lose money on it. And, you know, you should be looking to make quite a decent profit. I think it offers as well choice. What investors are struggling with at the moment is choice of stock. 
you know, being forced to buy something that because you can't really find anything else or you're being outbid on stuff and so on. You know, looking at commercial properties, it does give you choice. Although I think just a caveat to add, though, in terms of the government's incentives around, you know, development and building back stronger is that don't assume that any commercial building that you look at, you know, before, you know, within the click of a finger, there's going to be five flats granted on it because local authorities based <laughs> where we invest and around the country do have some um, nuances, shall we say, with regards to what they will and won't grant. But I think it gives, choice. It gives us options, it gives us choice, and it keeps it, it keeps it interesting for us developers. No, absolutely, absolutely. So I think if, if we were to sum up going forward, sort of during this back end of the pandemic and post-pandemic, are we overall bullish in terms of the future? I mean, property people generally are bullish by their very nature, but are we on a scale of one to 10, 10 being absolutely, totally, 100% enthusiastic and bullish on the market, one being, you know, let's get out as quick as we can. Where are we on the scale? Are we around about a seven and a half, you think, or... I think your seven and a half is probably my eight and a half to nine because, you know, I'm always a little bit extra positive (laughs) (laughs) and uh, excitable with regards to this. I think we're cautiously optimistic. For us, property is our wealth creation. It's our trading business. You know, we are in it now forever. (laughs) So it's always going to be high for us. I think we're just making smart decisions. We're not getting carried away with the hype and we're continuing to buy well and you know do as we always have done in the past to protect ourselves protect our investors and just make make good good quality decisions in spite of what's happening around us yeah i, I agree and i think one one obvious thing is that likes of, of stoke and trent and crew you know possibly less so newcastle underline but relatively to other parts of the country it's still cheap you know yeah, it's still yeah. cheap you can still pick up you know, sort of 70,000 can still get you, you know, needing a bit of work can still get you a, a two up, two down. Yeah. You know, commercial buildings, you can still pick up commercial buildings, retail shops with flats above or little offices for, you know, 100 grand, 90 grand, 125 grand. Yeah. And, you know, again, looking at a long term perspective, I think, you know, 10 years from now, we'll look back and we think, you know, thank God we picked that up for that type of figure because look at it now. So, yeah, I think seven and a half, eight, you know, generally positive, but you've got to be looking over your shoulder. Yeah, you've got to be looking over your shoulder just to make sure that, you know, you're not walking into a storm as well. So I think the way investors should operate is move forward positively, but cautiously at the same time in terms of there's going to be more due diligence you know, go over those numbers, you know, buy well and make sure there are multiple exits. You know, that's the golden rule. You know, have at least two exits, preferably three, so that if things change, you can pivot and sell it, rent it in a different way, develop it out in a slightly different way going forward. So I think we've probably spoken enough now. We'll wrap it up and look forward to comments on this particular podcast and uh, look forward to doing the next one. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Amanda. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website, www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. 
we look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.